You're listening to the Long's Chapel Weekly Message Podcast, available Sundays at 5 o'clock p.m. If you would like to connect to Long's Chapel or keep up with all events happening at Long's Chapel Church, connect with us via Instagram, Facebook, or on our church website, longschapel.com. Here at Long's Chapel, we believe in worshiping and serving God by reaching people and growing together as passionate followers of Jesus Christ, because all people matter to God. This week's message comes from our lead pastor, Reverend Chris Westmoreland. We find ourselves in the midst of a sermon series, Tiny Habits Make Big Impact. We've been talking about what's little and what's big. We've been talking about how little is the way to big. Um, and we have a chance to reflect a little bit today on a word. It's the word, it's a theme. I'm gonna invite you to think about it in three different ways. Uh, just because sometimes that's how I think. And over the last several days, that's kind of what's bubbled up with me. But it's um, the word backwards, the word backwards. I want you to think about what you think about when you think about the word backwards. When I just say that word, you might think about, I'm not gonna do it, but Michael Jackson doing the moonwalk, right? Like kind of think about backwards a little bit with that. We talk about somebody that like doesn't embrace technology or kind of modern ways of living that they're living backwards, right? We say that sometimes. Um, But I wanna read a scripture and invite us to kind of think about the word backwards spiritually um, and how backwards is actually a path forwards um, if we can look at it maybe in the way that Jesus is inviting us to. So uh, I wanna invite you into a passage of scripture, uh, the gospel of John chapter nine. It's actually a powerful healing story that Jesus offers. Uh, And so as we kind of think and pray about this particular story a little bit, um, I um, am gonna read the first like 11 or 12 verses. This whole story is actually the whole entire chapter of Um, chapter nine of the gospel of John. Too much to read would take too long to read it, but I'll summarize the last 30 verses for you. I just wanna tell you, I'm not like ignoring those. I just, uh, we have a limited amount of time and I wanna make sure that we are able to kind of grab hold of um, the gift of truth. My whole entire purpose in reading this scripture and my whole entire purpose in offering you a few ways to connect to this story is so that we can not just read a story about something that happened a long time ago, but so that we can find ourselves in that story and we can see how the same power that is available from Jesus in in that story is what Jesus offers to each and every one of us in this very moment. And so that's like the whole purpose of it and I wanna make sure you're able to grab hold of it. So um, the passage is uh, true blindness. And so walking down the street, Jesus saw a man that was blind from birth, John says, And his disciples asked, like, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents? Who caused him to be blind? Pause for just a moment. In Jewish tradition that Jesus is inheriting and confronting, um, if somebody is blind or has some kind of disability or ailment, it must have been them or it must have been their parents or their grandparents or their great-grandparents that had sinned and made God mad in some kind of way and therefore that curse was being passed on to them and their disability is some direct result of some kind of sin that was within them or within their family. And so if you were uh, like disabled, it was um, a stigma, it was oppressive. It was, uh, fortunately, Jesus confronts this. Even in this very story, Jesus is gonna confront this uh, way of thinking, this very predominant and very much what um, the Pharisees and, and uh, the Sadducees and other religious uh, folk in the Jewish world are, are affirming and believing. And so um, Jesus says, after being asked this question, you're asking the wrong question. You're looking for someone to blame. But there's no such cause and effect here. Look instead not just at blaming for why this is happening, but what God can do as a result of it. We need to be energetically at work for the one who sent me here, Jesus says, working while the sun shines. For when night falls, the workday is over. For as long as I am in the world, there is plenty of light. Why? Because I am the world's light, Jesus says. I'm the light of the world. 
And then he said this, and then he did this really odd thing. Are you ready for it? He spits in the dust, right? Made a clay paste with his saliva and rubbed paste, this mud, on the blind man's eyes. And he said, hey, go wash at the pool of Siloam, right? Siloam means scent. So this pool of, this pool of scent, scent, um, S-E-N-T, right? Go to that pool and wash it off. So the man went and he washed, and after he washed the mud out of his eyes in this pool of scent, Siloam, he, um, he could see. Soon the town was buzzing. His relatives and those who year after year had seen him simply as a blind man that was helpless and was begging where like, you know, they would say like, why, like, how is this the man that we knew? Like, is this really the guy that was like begging day after day? And like, we've only known him in this way. Is it really the same person? Others said, yeah, it's him, all right. But others objected. Like, it's not the same man at all. Like, it looks like him, but it can't be the same guy. And he said, actually, it is me. I'm the very one that you're thinking I am. And they said, well, how did your eyes get opened? Like, how is it now that you can see? Verse 11, a man named Jesus made a paste with mud, rubbed it on my eyes, and told me, go to Siloam and wash. And I did what he said, and when I washed, I saw. Verse 12, so where is he? Well, I don't know. And they marched the man to the Pharisees. The day when Jesus made the paste and healed the blindness was the Sabbath. And so the Pharisees grilled him again on how in the world it is that he came to see. And then he said, well, he just like put this mud on my eyes and I washed it and now I can see. And some of the Pharisees said, well, obviously this man can't possibly be from God because today is the Sabbath and to make mud is work. And so you couldn't possibly honor God by doing work and like be from God. So this man can't possibly be from God because he, he doesn't honor the Sabbath. And others said, well, like how can a man that's not from God do this miraculous God revealing thing? And they were split in their ranks. And the whole last 30 verses of this passage, I'm not gonna read them all to you, but it's um, a different kind of blindness. It's the Pharisees are wrestling with Jesus and those who have witnessed this miracle. And they are wrestling with the fact that they um, are kind of like not believing, the Pharisees are not believing that Jesus uh, actually has miraculous power from God, not believing that Jesus is who he says that he is. And so they have, right, the first 11 verses are about a guy that has physical blindness. But quite often in the scriptures, it's not just ever about one thing. It's not just about the physical blindness, but the man that's being healed from the physical blindness, right? The man who's having his life restored in that regard is simply an image and a symbol right, of this larger um, blindness that the church, the Pharisees represent because they're just not able to see Jesus for who he is. They're just not able to see him for who he is. Does this miraculous thing and all they're worried about is what date on the calendar this miraculous thing happened and how it couldn't possibly be valid because it didn't happen on the right day, right? Like they're spiritually blind. Like, Like their hearts are hardened in such a way that they're not actually able to see Jesus for who he is. Um, I saw this uh, in doing some devotion this week, but it was quoting Ezekiel, which says, I'll give you a new heart. I'll put a new spirit in you. I'll remove from you your heart of stone and I'll give you a heart of flesh. I want you to think of me for a minute. And like Paul, Paul often talk about flesh as a weakness. Paul will talk about flesh as like, like flesh is bad. Like flesh is the weakness of humanity. Spirit is strong. 
But actually when Ezekiel talks about, I'm actually gonna remove a heart of stone and I'm gonna give you a heart of flesh. In other words, I'm gonna help you to be the very human being created in the image of God that you were always created to be. And then here's the, um, the reflection. Uh, I just wanted to share this with you. Uh, the Lord is stripping back the walls and the layers that we have built up around our hearts. Like we may have rightfully constructed these walls to protect ourselves, right? From pain, from disappointment, even from like harmful people. But over time, that has become a hard shell. It's become a fortress. It's not only kept the bad stuff out, but it's also kept some really good stuff out too. It's kept us distant from those who love us and those for whom we are called to love. Like powerful stuff that Jesus seems to be doing in this story as he like wants to seem to like release us from that which we've been that we weren't created to be and to free us to be exactly who God created us to be because God is after what is best for you. Like God longs for and wants what is best for you. Um, we take the 10 commandments and uh, in the Jewish tradition, we turn them into like 400 plus like specific commandments of different ways to live. And kind of at the root of all of those is not just about how can, like in the Jewish tradition, we can live a God honoring life. Those actually, those commandments and those principles are actually designed for a particular reason for the well being of the people that, it, that they're meant to protect. Almost like a parent sets boundaries, a parent sets rules, right? Um, because like they want to keep children safe. It's almost like parental in that sense. But the child can't see it as you're trying to keep keep me safe, all the child sees is the restriction of the boundary rather than the blessing of it. So three ways I wanna invite you to connect to this story and then whatever other ways God's gonna speak to your heart outside of the words that I'm gonna offer. Uh, First and foremost is I want you to think about backwards for just a minute. And I want you to think about this great paradox that we encounter in the faith. So this man generationally um, didn't have a lot of choice and agency in his life. Like he's been told his whole life that his blindness was his fault or was the fault of his family in some capacity. And so his whole life, he has, like his whole life has been defined by this thing that is really completely beyond his control. And that thing would have caused him to have to beg in the streets. That thing would have caused him to be unclean and not be able to enter the temple. That thing would completely have stigmatized his life. And it's all primarily, in the language of this, of this story, it's all primarily about his past right? Backwards. It's all about his past. It's all about where he or somebody that um, has loved him or has been a part of his family has been and, and, and the challenge and the burden and the curse of that. And in this story, Jesus sets him free from that. Think about that with me for just a minute, will you? In this story, Jesus unbinds him from the things in his or his family's past that would have led more to death and blindness rather than sight and life. Like the way I'm thinking about it is this, and it's this great paradox that we have in life and in faith, but uh, let me just, I typed it out yesterday and I wanna read it to you because I don't even think I can say it this way again, but um, like we can't, like in life, we can't live in the past and in the present at the same time, right? So I can't like live life in my mind and in my heart where I've been and live where I am. Like I can't do both of those things at the same time. But sometimes we can't be fully present in the present moment without revisiting where we've been in the past and the effect that that's had on us. And the whole purpose of living life fully in the present 
and being able to, like through the power of God, revisit where we've been, allows and cultivates this foundation that allows us to be able to live into a different kind of future, right? So you see see we're messing with all the, the tenses there. We're living fully in the present by being able to touch the past in such a way that the past doesn't define us that God does. And then all of that becomes a foundation, the past and the present becomes a foundation for living a different kind of future a different kind of future that God is paving out. That works in individual life, that works in family life, that works in church life, right? Like that's, that's truth. And so like then we take the learnings and we take the healing that all of that provides and that provides this, this breeding ground of potential for abundance and for blessing. For abundance and for blessing. And um, all of us, every single one of us have weird things we have to hold when we live life a little backwards, right? In this room, no matter how old or how young we are, we all have things that are in our backwards past that we don't exactly know what to do with. All of us have those things, right? We all have those things. The person beside you that looks like they have it all together, they have those things too, all right? I hate to ruin it for you, but they do. We all have that stuff, right? We all have that stuff. And we all have those, like we get the best and the worst of that, like to be honest about it, right? But I want you to think with me for just a minute. Part of one of, this is one of the reasons I'm drawn to the Wesleyan way of seeing the gospel and the ministry of Jesus is that um, like conversion is not meant to be the be all end all of everything is fixed and reordered in my life. And now that Jesus is my Lord, everything fits together perfectly. That's actually not life in the way we know it or understand it. In fact, a lot of the Bible talks about the fact that for these disciples, their life got better and harder when they converted and followed Jesus. So, so, like, like, so like that's not truth. What seems to be truth is that God's grace affects us all throughout our life. And our goal is to grow in that grace in such a way that over the course of days and weeks and months and years and decades, over the course of a life, that we are growing up and being transformed and renewed in God's grace in such a way that like we're recovering like the sight that God longed for us to have all along, that we're um, encountering the abundance of life that God meant for you and meant for me all along, that that's actually what we're meant to do. So like, I want you to think about the countercultural nature of what I'm saying. Um, Like faith is not TikTok. Like I love TikTok, like TikTok is cool. But, But TikTok's like these little short videos and stuff, right? Like that's actually not faith. I want you to think about this like an HGTV renovation show. And I want you to think about, you know, 20 minutes of a show, 10 minutes of a commercial, two years of work and like a half a million dollar budget that in 20 minutes looks like it all just came together. And if we really took that as a model for for, um, construction, I'm applying this to faith. If we really took that as a model for construction, We'd think that, you know, we could take a little bit of money, we could take a little bit of time, and we could just completely renovate this whole thing. And, you know, um, like, and we could do that like in no time at all. And the reality is we can't do that at all. In fact, we're gonna do more harm than good by even trying to, to do that in some kind of short little seven second, 10 second, 20 minute kind of way. And so like what this really is about, it's about like opening ourselves up <laughs> to God's grace in such a way that over time, that grace becomes the defining reality of our life. 
And sometimes, friends, conversion, right? Sometimes that does kind of happen like all at once in a way that things click and come together. And that's beautiful and that's wonderful when that happens. More often than not, that's not how it happens. More often than not, it happens in kind of um, subtle, very incremental kinds of ways where today I'm able to say that I saw God's grace in a more profound way than I think I did yesterday. And therefore, I'm gonna grab hold of that. I'm gonna try to learn from that I'm gonna to try to grow in that. And I'm going to, what Wesley would have said is we're going on to perfection. And he wasn't really talking about living a perfect life like Jesus is perfect. He was talking about growing in God's love so that every day we're letting God's love be a defining difference in our life. So I, like, I don't want you to set yourself up for like this notion of the fact that faith is like TikTok. I need mean, to know that you're invited over the course of your life, however long that may be, to grow in God's grace and to allow God's grace to become the defining factor in your life. Like that's the path of discipleship. And by the way, that doesn't happen all at once, right? Oftentimes that happens with a band meeting or a prayer partner or like some therapy or like a lot of different things, sometimes medication, like a lot of different factors that help us find wellness um, in that, but I'm not, not trying to fix or convince you of anything today other than I wanna invite you to be curious about the fact that there is nothing backwards in your life. There is nothing in your past that God can't redeem for your future. There is nothing in your past that God can't redeem for your, for your future. Like, do you believe that? Can I invite you to hold on to that for a minute? Can I invite you to like, like hold that in your heart? I love this quote I saw this week. I think I have a copy of it for the screen. It's C.S. Lewis. You can't go back and change the beginning, but you can start where you are and you can change the ending, right? You can't go back and change the beginning, but you can start where you are and you can change the ending. Like that we can do, that we're invited to do. We'll live life fully in the present, if we'll touch backwards the things that we need to be able to touch so that we can trust God and God's power of healing to be able to heal those things, to be able to heal us in those things so that, um, well, there's a different kind of future that God longs for us to uh, embrace. Um, secondly, but very much connected to that, I want us to think a little bit, we're talking about tiny habits and how like tiny habits, it's a, a book by uh, BJ Fogg, I think is his name. He's like, a, um, like a, a doctor of like behavioral science kind of stuff. Really good book. I'm just taking pieces of it and we're kind of spiritually allowing that to like be a spiritual lens from which we're able to see how God is working in our life. So that's the purpose of that. If you want more details on the science of it, certainly the book is there and invite you to go, to go chase after it. But one of, the, one of the things I thought was really helpful in the book um, was something I was reading this week about uh, habits. Like all of us have habits in our life. Like, um, like I brushed my teeth this morning, that's a habit. Yay me, right? Like that's good. Like we all have habits. Some habits add to our life. They add value to our life. Some habits might actually steal life from our life, but we all have habits, right? And last week, we talked a little bit about this equation that, um, that BJ Fogg talks about, where he talks about the fact that our behavior or our action is made up of um, three things, MAP, uh, he calls it, motivation, our motivation, right? Our energy around doing this thing. Our ability, that's A, our ability or our capacity to be able to do this thing, whatever this may be. Um, and then a prompt. And we talked about how like spirituality is full of prompts. Prayer is a practice, a prompt. Worship is a practice, it's a prompt. Like we're, we fill our lives with prompts that kind of are, are meant to like kind of drive us in a direction 
where like God is blessing us in some pretty significant ways um, through the lives that we're living. Like that's the goal. Like that's the goal of our life. That's what we want to be about. So like behavior and action is some combination of motivation and ability and prompting, right? And prompting. So, um, so we need to think about, when you think about this, that every habit that we have, we actually have it for a reason. Whether we consider it to be a positive habit or whether we consider it to be a, you know, a habit that actually like doesn't help us, like all of that is there for a reason. It is serving some kind of purpose. Even if it's taking life away from us, it's serving a purpose. It's serving a purpose. Like there's a reason that that has become a habit for us. Whether we know it or not, like there's a reason for that. And I want you to think with me about the difference in a habit that gives life. And I want you to think with me about the difference in a habit that actually is like taking life away. In other words, it, like it's saying that it can fix this thing, but the reality is it just seems to be making things more challenging. It just seems to be making things more complicated. Um, I, using this example, not in any way, shape, or form to shame, I'm using this example to illustrate. So I'm thinking about our propensity to abuse alcohol and drugs. I'm thinking about that as an example because there's something, whatever that may be, for um, us abusing alcohol or abusing drugs, there is something underneath that that we think the drugs and or the abuse of alcohol can actually like speak to, can, can numb, can distract us from, can make us feel better from. Like there's something underneath that. We may not even know what that is, but there's something underneath that. And, and I love um, when Dr. Fogg is talking about this, like he talks about three different things. Ralph, I think we have a slide about this. Three different, three different kind of uh, changes of behavior. Um, three different things. Behavioral changes, master plan, he says. Number one, focus on creating a new habit that's gonna bring life. Like focus on a habit that is creating and cultivating a habit that's gonna bring life, right? I want you to think and pray about that. Like what does it mean for you to be able to focus on creating a, a new habit that's actually gonna like, like fill your life with more life. Secondly, allow that new habit that's gonna fill you with more life to replace an old habit that isn't as life-giving as it was or may actually be stealing life from you, right? And then three, what does it mean to then kind of swap the new habit for the old one, right? Now we're honoring the fact that even a habit that's dangerous has some kind of purpose that it's trying to fulfill and we have an opportunity to begin to evaluate that, right? In our better moments, we have an opportunity to evaluate that and to replace that habit that isn't life-giving with something that gives us what that promised that it would, but it can't provide, right? I'm thinking about the abuse of alcohol and uh, drugs as an example because that is something sometimes, friends, that we do that ends up making um, whatever, whatever reason we're drawn to that to begin with and then that cooked in with our biology that may make that a problem for us. The truth of the matter is, right, is that now like things are actually worse, like things are really prob like now things are like worse, like, like whatever was kind of troubling is now like exacerbated and big and, and challenging and difficult and, and man, God just wants something different from us. And like the whole point of this story is, is God trying to do like a new thing of, of God trying to like, you know, pour life, of God trying to heal us from that which is like taken life or distracted us from the life that God longs for us to have. The third and last way I want to invite you to uh, connect to the story is that very thing. I want to invite you to consider 
the fact that Jesus has the power to change your story, that Jesus has the power to change the direction of your story, that the same power that he was using to confront the Pharisees and to try to help them see spiritually who he was, the same power that he was using to kind of heal this, this guy who was meant to have mud on his eyes and dip in the pool and, and cleanse and have this stigma that had defined his whole entire life, like be removed because he encountered Jesus and his healing power. Like God longs to change the direction of your story and of my story. I was thinking about that this, this, this week for two reasons. Um, I was thinking about, as I'm thinking about this passage of scripture in John 9, thinking about, uh, I'm looking out over Lake Genalusca. I think there are a couple of Lake Genalusca pictures uh, in there. And if you've been to Lake Genalusca over the last several weeks, you know that they're doing something kind of interesting, right? Doesn't that look beautiful? Well, it would look a lot more beautiful if the lake had water in it, wouldn't it? But, but it doesn't have water in it. Actually, it has a lot of dirt and a lot of silt, right? There's a rainbow picture that I grabbed hold of this week. But do you see all the dirt and the silt? Like, like this beautiful place that we love and many of us kind of walk around or go to for reflection. Like right now, it looks like a big mud pit. It looks like a big mosh pit, right? Every several years, I don't exactly know all of the mechanics of it, but every several years, the the lake actually pays a lot of money to like have construction material, uh, construction vehicles come in and remove all of this silt because Lake Junaluska is actually a dammed up lake. Uh, it's a dammed up river, right? And, and so, um, like, you have this opportunity to be able to clean out all of this stuff. That if it just continued to build up, there would be no more Lake Junaluska. Like, it would be a wetland. But but because like every little bit. There's this maintenance that happens where folks come in and they load up all of this dirt and silt and, and they cart it off and then the dam fills the, the lake back up again and then there's beauty. But to get to the beauty, like right now, if you go out there, I'm like, I'm seeing tires, I'm seeing refrigerators that were dumped in the lake, like all kinds of stuff. Like it doesn't look super pretty. I'm thinking about that and I'm thinking about, I just wanted to do a little research this week. I looked up in the Bible this story deals with mud. And I looked up in the Bible, how many, like what are the top 25 references of mud? And do you know what I found is that almost all of them are negative references. They're negative references. They're like, um, like, like um, for example, the prodigal son who is slopping mud with the pigs, right? Which is actually meant to be a very dirty, difficult, broken image of him hitting bottom. And mud is involved in that story. And if you look in, the, look in the Bible and do a little research, you're gonna find a whole bunch of stories just like that where mud is kind of a sign and symbol of somebody at their worst or somebody at their brokenness. Now, that actually tracks with us, right? We talk about mud wrestling. We talk about in a political campaign when things get ugly, what do we say? They're slinging mud, right? Like that's the kind of way we talk about it. That's the kind of way we think about it. But Jesus in this story does something completely different. He takes this image of mud, which everywhere else is looked at kind of messily and unfavorably, and he uses it as a sign and symbol of restoring someone's life and of changing their story. And this is a paradox, right? This is what Jesus does, right? Like Jesus does this all, all over and over again. Like for example, um, to live, to really live, you have to die to yourself <laughs> to live for me, Jesus says. Like to embrace the larger family, you have to realize that your own family isn't God. Um, they're important people, but they're not God for you. 
right? Like over and over again, Jesus does this. He says like, like those of you who are persecuted, you think you're like suffering because you've done something wrong. I say you've done something right. I say there's blessing in that, Jesus says. Like, um, like meekness, like meekness, the world says is weakness. But you know what? There's no greater strength, Jesus says in the Beatitudes, than meekness. Because then you're able to allow God's power to work through you rather than like you kind of, you know, losing yourself and not allowing God to be shown through you. Like, what do you do with enemies? Well, anybody can love a friend, Jesus says. But you're not just called to hate enemies, you're actually called to love them. Like, like even the pagans love their friends. What, like, what holiness is in that? Like, like, you're meant to love your enemies. That's where transformation happens. We see this over and over again with Jesus taking something and making it more than what we think it is. So this week I end up doing something kind of interesting. Um, this week I kind of end up doing something kind of interesting. I end up visiting um, Sally's Beauty Supply. I think there's a picture of an aisle of me, just so you know that this is actually not just a made up story, but I really did do this. Sally's Beauty Supply. And man, did I learn a thing or two about women's beauty. Do, have any of you been to Sally's Beauty Supply? Do you know what people go through? to become more beautiful? Like, like whether we know or not that you're already beautiful and you don't need all that stuff, like it's cool if it makes you feel better, that's great. But like you don't need all that because like, you know, you're beautiful the way you are. Oh my gracious, like down the end of this all, down the end of this aisle, I'm not even gonna, I'm not even gonna talk about the fact that that's the wax section. Oh my gosh. I mean, I'm like, you know, just like I learned so much just spending like, you know, 45 minutes going aisle to aisle here. It is like a thing. But what I was looking for is, um, is mud. Because you know, like if I go to have a facial, which I've never had until earlier today, I put some of this all over my face. Um, and like I've never had a, like a facial, but w- what this is is, and I bought several of these, the purifying charcoal mask, right? Or the exfoliant uh, gel mask of charcoal um, black sugar that make a mud, right? Um, And what's interesting about this mud, what's interesting about this mud is that it's actually meant to generate like healing and cleansing and and purity. And like I put this stuff on my forehead and it's meant to pull out the impurity. Isn't that interesting? It's meant to pull out the impurity. And by the time I wipe it off or go wash in the pool of scent of Salome, like the impurity that was in my skin is washed away as well. This thing that in so many other parts of the Bible is looked at as messy and ugly and horrible and smelly and like it's actually in Jesus's hands is not all of that. But in Jesus's hands, it's what Jesus wants it to be, which is a sign and symbol of healing. Thanks for joining the Long's Chapel Message Podcast. If you connected in any way with us via this podcast, we invite you to connect further by either leaving a rating and review down below or contacting us via our church website at longschapel.com. Here at Long's Chapel, we believe in worshiping and serving God by reaching people and growing together as passionate followers of Jesus Christ because all people matter to God. See you next week.